Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I want to thank you guys for all the support. I had a record month in October, number of downloads, and uh, that is just attributed to each and every one of you's uh, loyal listening patterns, and I really appreciate that. I also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, GoHunt.com Insider. They are the title sponsor of this podcast, uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, Phone Scope and the Outdoorsmans. Those four sponsors have been the cornerstone uh, sponsors of this podcast. And I just want to thank uh, them for their support and thank you guys for supporting them. I hear from the sponsors almost uh, every day, every week on the amount of support that you guys show them. And I appreciate that. If you guys have any questions of me or comments or anything that you want uh, to let me know, you can send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, you can also uh, follow me on Instagram at jscottoutdoors. Uh, and send me a direct message through Instagram. I love hearing from all of you, um, answering, you know, sometimes 30 to 50 uh, questions a week. And um, getting that information uh, out to you guys is paramount to me. Uh, and I just appreciate all of your support. It's the least I can do and, and help uh, each and every one of you. And that's what we're trying to do here in this podcast is bring information, bring education, bring awareness uh, and uh, bring a little passion uh, along the way. So thanks for the support. Let's get right to this episode with Eric Forrest. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Eric Forrest out of Tucson, Arizona. And I must say he is an Arizona wildcat. So um, I, I think we've uh, really been scraping the bottom of the barrel here to finally get uh, Eric back on and get another wildcat on the podcast. What do you have to say for yourself? Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I sure know how to make friends in southern Arizona, don't I? Yeah. You guys are 6-2 oh, yeah. two, two this year, and we're 4-4, four and four and um, I think everybody in the world beat us, but you guys are actually looking pretty pretty good. Yeah, it's been a pretty good season so far. It's been I've been watching plenty of the games. It's been nice to see us win this year. Yeah. Um, have you been able to get out and go to any of the games, or? Yeah, yeah. I've been. I've seen a few games so far, and they've been each game I've gone to, they've won. So it's been a good. It's been a good one. Man, they ought to put you fifty yard line if they've won every time you've gone. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> good luck, charm. <laughs> The big game's coming up November 25th, and I always say, like I think I said on the last podcast with you, I don't care if ASU loses every single game every year. As long as we beat the U of A, that's all I care about. Yeah, that's what my girlfriend says all the time, too, because she goes to ASU. So I got to deal with it there, too. <laughs> oh, man, you have to, you get it on both sides. Then. Uh, so, so she's a, a Sun Devil and you're a Wildcat. That's a crazy mix. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, she she's a sun devil or scum devil, as we all call them. <laughs> you know what they say about the people that go to U of A, right? What is that? They tried to get in ASU, but we rejected them, so uh, they go to U of A. <laughs> <laughs> nah, <laughs> I'll believe that. Oh, <laughs> uh, buddy, it's good to have you on the podcast. I've been following you on Instagram, and I got great feedback from the last time. Uh, you were on the podcast. We were talking about deer and coos deer specifically and some of the 
historic deer and such that you've been following and you run a bunch of cameras and uh, really enjoy getting out there and I just like following you on Instagram. Um, and I noticed that uh, your buddy Tristan looks like his girlfriend maybe uh, had a tag and you guys kind of followed a buck. Um, uh, talk a little bit about that hunt and, um, and I'll kind of pick away at some questions here and there. Uh, tell me the story or the background behind that buck. So um, my buddy uh, was helping me during the archery hunt, and uh, we found this group of, of bucks. It was about about nine bucks in this bachelor herd, and we tried to get in there um, all August, and the bucks ended up shooting. Actually, the first time we'd gone in there and seen those bucks, I had that buck, um, while I was stalking another buck, come just uh, across a cut right off my side, and I could have shot him with my bow, but he was so far from being grown and we weren't able to ever get an arrow in these deer because there was they'd be all together in this in this group of nine bucks and that's you know nine pairs of eyes and ears and, and nine noses so it's always hard to get past them and they'd always end up get catching up with those and so it could be like 15 deer at a time and uh fortunately we weren't able to ever put an arrow in one of those deer but we kept watching them and I knew once the once it would get a little bit later in the year, they weren't going to be in that big bachelor group. Um, and we watched them since the archery hunts, and, and I did notice they would start to break off in little subgroups. And sometimes there would be, you know, like like four bucks in the bachelor group, and then two would be over here and another two, you know, over there. And um, But every time we went out, we saw there was about four or five shooters in there. And every time we went out and we saw one of those shooters or all of them, yeah, it, just, it would just depend. So um, we made it a point to go out there pretty much every weekend and every uh, weekday that we could to go hike in there and, and glass. And, and eventually we, we narrowed it down to a, a like 50-yard by 50-yard square area that these bucks like to hang out in. It was really weird. It was just a circle of, uh, of cat claw. And you could count on, you could put like a hundred bucks down each day that if you go in there in the morning or in the evening, you're, when they're feeding, you'll see one of those bucks in that area. And so we had put some time in and watched and we knew, we knew we could, we could count on one of those bucks being in that area. And then there was an even larger, like 300 by 300 uh, yard area um, where we could, we know you, you, we would find them um, any part of the day. So they kind of, they, they had this little spot. Sometimes, one of the bucks would like wouldn't be there had would go over a ridge, but you could count on one of the four or five bucks being there. Okay, a couple questions, um, just to break this down a little bit. So from what I hear you saying, you watch these bucks in the velvet, there was mostly nine bucks together on any given day. Usually you would find some of the groups as they broke up. They kind of split off. Now, one question I have, when you say split off, do you mean like like couple hundred yards away from each other or like a half a mile to a mile? Like did they really break up or just kind of not hang exactly together? Uh, that's a good question. Um, not, they would they'd break off to where they wouldn't hang necessarily together. Sometimes you'd see a buck, one of the bigger bucks by himself in the morning feeding and then he would later like, um, group up with two smaller bucks and then you'd when they would feed sometimes you would see them 
come together and feed as a bachelor group and then go off their separate ways to bed down. Um, the farthest I ever seen um, a little group of bucks break off from the bigger group um, was if they would go over the ridge and bed on the other side. Um, but for the most part, you could count on them um, sort of kind of feeding together or feeding really close to each other, so not, not too far away, not like, not like a mile away. Okay, so feeding together but kind of bedding a little bit away and separate, almost like they got their buddies and, you know, those, got those guys over there and we bed over here. And a question I would ask is why do you feel like in the velvet that they were more centralized and more together? And then why did you feel like when the antlers started, you know, hardening up, did you feel like they were going to, like you almost knew they were going to kind of start tearing up and kind of breaking off. Did that come from experience or, or tell me about that? It's mostly coming from experience. I've always pondered why they, why they do that. I just know from years of looking at them, um, you, you never really see those big bachelor groups um, in that first hunt. Once it starts to cool down and the antlers start to harden, they just tend to kind of break up into smaller groups. I, even in areas that don't get, barely any um, hunting pressure, they still do the same thing. So I don't think it's necessarily hunting pressure that's breaking up those groups. I'm, I'm actually not sure why they do. Do you think do it's you like any... possibly, a, it's, you know, I'm thinking of just possibly maybe just with the antlers hardening, the hormone, you know, a little bit of hormone change, what have you. Um, you know, I wonder if, if they're in velvet and, you know, there's because I've seen big groups of, you know, I don't know that I've seen nine together, but, you know, say five to nine, you know, a big bachelor group. The thing I could think maybe in the velvet is, um, you know, they know there's no competition as far as, you know, they're not, they're not sparring. They're not, you know, there's no real, I mean, there's still probably a pecking order, but I, I just wonder if once those antlers harden, almost a little bit of the buck's attitudes and such change a little bit because those antlers actually become hard and, you know, they probably can jab each other. I just wonder if, you know, one question I would have is, like, when they split off, were they kind of classified in, like, you know, kind of a little bit bigger bucks here and a little bit bigger bucks, or was it like a big buck and always a small buck? And wondering if there's any sort of pattern there. I mean, it doesn't really matter, but I'm always interested in, kind of people's perception of what, you know, does a big giant hang out with just a little dink and that's how they always roll or typically do, you know, several, you know, three, like say hundred inch type bucks all hang together. I've kind of seen it where, and I'm curious your take, like where there's a big buck and he's always hanging with like a little two point that's like a two year old and it's like his, you know, it's just like his little buddy. Rarely do I see like, you know, three or four, you know, mature, like, 100-inch, like, all rolling together. Just curious your thoughts. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's exactly, that's exactly what is going on in this area is they, they um, when they split up, two of the, the only time I'd see um, the shooters, those, those four or five bigger bucks, um, and what I mean by four or five shooters, they were, like, 90 class to 105, 108 type deer those were what we were going to consider a shooter on this hunt. And, uh, and those bucks, the only time they'd ever be together is during the summer when they were feeding together. And then, um, 
around like leading up to the first hunt I, I saw them once or twice um feeding kind of kind of together on the same like same little finger feeding together but when they would bed and when we saw them on the hunt they would never once was there two big bucks together it was always one of the mature bucks and he would have a buck you know slightly younger and then like a spike or a small forky with him uh they always had yeah. younger bucks with them and i do think it i always kind of thought that it, it had to tie um into hormones why they why they'll split off because you see how how much bigger their bodies get just from you know the september to october it's crazy the the difference in their body size yeah, I think that's a little bit of a function of, you know, when they're growing their antlers, they're putting kind of all their energy into their antlers. And once the antlers harden, yeah. uh, then all of a sudden all of the protein and all of the stuff that they're eating kind of goes and, and, and you know, gets their body ready for the rut coming up. Um, okay, a question for you. It's, it's awesome to be able to watch kind of a bachelor herd of, of bucks all summer. Um, from a ge geographic position, you said you kind of narrowed it down to a 30 by 30, or you might have said 50 by 50, but a, a small area. Um, I'm always curious, uh, you know, this, this group, obviously without giving any of your spots away or anything, I'm, I'm more wanting to bring info out so people can learn and be able to apply it to their own hunts and what have you, but were they pretty much in the same spot you know, within how far from where they were all summer to where, uh, you know, when these October hunts started to, to, to where they moved, you know, was it a, was it a right there in the exact same ridge, exact same spot, or did they move for a half mile? It was pretty much on this first hunt. That's why we, we put her in for this first hunt because we knew they'd be kind of exhibiting the same patterns that they had in, uh, during the summer. Uh, they're they're always in that little fifty yard by fifty yard square section. Um, mm -hmm. You could count on one of them being there, but the other bucks you could you could typically find within three hundred yards of there. And that was just for those bucks. There was a uh, a younger non typical I posted on Instagram um, that was super close to on opening day, and and that buck he he was kind of the exception to this general rule like we had for all these bucks because he would be all over the place. Like we would go, you know, a, a mile to the east and glass him up over there and then we'd go like a couple miles to the west and he would be on this random ridge over there. And there was no mistake in this deer because he had, you know, these crazy non-typical points and everything. So I think there's there's exceptions to the rule, but generally they're in the, in, in the, the same little area. And I think the reason why is because this, area we were hunting was sort of like a bowl so it was you know it was about like you know like if you were to cut a bowl in half that's kind of what the what the uh, ridges look like so they it kind of created this basin for them to feed around and bed on and and have shade no matter where they went do you think too like a bowl like you're talking one reason why deer like little bowls is the fact that if you know that they know there's you know eight if you're a buck, you know there's eight other bucks right here kind of in the same bowl plus a few does. And typically in a bowl, anywhere you're at in the bowl, you can kind of hear or see or smell kind of if there's commotion going on. Sometimes yeah. I feel like those little half bowls um, give them a little bit of security because, it, 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 you know, and, and I'm curious your input, 
any place they're at in those bowls, they can kind of know if, you know, doe's getting chased by a lion or, you know, a hunter's coming up the ridge or it's kind of a defense mechanism. Any thoughts on that? I, I agree with that completely. I think they, they like it for those security uh, purposes. And I, I also like bowls too because I can sit and I can glass pretty much everything within the bowl from from any given point, you know, on it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's both that I like them and I think the deer like them. It's a, it's a, I think it's a really good place to find deer. And that's when when I'm doing my e-scouting and whatnot on um, on Google Earth or any kind of maps like Onyx Maps, um, I, I look for those bulls, and um, if I could find a bull that's like maybe you know a couple miles to get back to and is away from roads, even better. Yeah, for sure. I know you like to hike a lot and get back in there and root around for sure. Um, okay, back to so the hunt's approaching, and you guys are keeping your eyes on these bucks. Um, kind of describe a little bit, you know, kind of so it'd be kind of early October type of time frame. Um, if you were noticing anything different, um, you know, were the deer up a lot? Maybe talk about the times when the deer were very active and then, you know, was there any one or two days that all of a sudden you went and you knew they were right there but you didn't see them and, you know, like what caused that? Um, they, they pretty much activity-wise, they were doing about uh, we'd only get times to glass early morning and evening um so in those times y yeah in those times um they were pretty much doing the same thing there was only one time that i went out and i didn't i didn't glass up one of the bucks and i um i check I always check the, the activity charts i know that it's kind of controversial some some people say it, it doesn't work some people say it works but i i have a couple apps on my phone that have um that you know solar uh, moon phase and it gives you the activity times and I'll I'll cross reference them and see if there's like a certain time that appears on both of them and then I'll know hey like that time's a good activity time and and the time I went out and I didn't see anything it was at, like the lowest activity time for that for the day and I I figured that was the reason why I'm real curious about that if you wouldn't mind I don't know if you know those apps off the top of your head if you wouldn't mind mentioning those apps and and if not, maybe you could text them and I'll link them up or something. But um, uh, I'm interested in hearing more. So, so definitely the solar tables, like y y you've definitely seen how when, when it says it's supposed to be peak activity that we, you notice that it is, is, you've found a correlation? Yeah, I've, I've always, uh, I grew up, my dad, he showed me it back when we would just look at the GPS and, and see the times, and it, it usually proved to be pretty pretty consistently accurate. Um, the, the apps, the two apps that I choose, I mean, you could search and, and um, kind of to your own discretion figure out which apps are um, good, but the two apps that I use are Time to Hunt Light and Fishing and Hunting Solar Lunar, um, hold on a sec, Solar Lunar Time. And they're, they're, I have an Android, so I don't know if they're available on, on um, iPhone as, as readily available, but um, that's what I use. And, I, and sometimes one will say it's a very poor day, and the other one will say it's an excellent day. So I don't, I don't pay much attention to what they rate the day as. More so I pay attention to what times they say is the major time and what, what's the minor time. 
I just look for those peaks of activity. And did I also hear you say that you also look when those charts actually kind of match up? Because sometimes they won't be the same, but if you find that both charts are saying between this time and this time, like, do you take special notice to that? Yeah, I do. Yep. And I know and if, you've, if it's, you've seen a correlation of, of if, if both apps match up, that dang, if they're not pretty accurate. Yeah. Yeah. You can, uh, I, Tristan learned that on the hunt is, um, we on on opening day we had gotten on a one of the biggest buck we had seen back there and and unfortunately he'd gotten up when we were trying to change the position but so we were we were there the whole day and and looking during you know the middle of the day when it's there's not much activity and I think I can't remember what the time was that day it was kind of an off time it was like three o'clock or four o'clock I think it was three o'clock and that's what the charts were saying it was three o'clock and it was hot and and you know it could be you could think that the deer aren't going to get up at that time, but we got in the glass and made sure we were looking at that time, and sure as heck, um, those started getting <laughs> up feeding. And it, you'll notice, and, it, and I also do um, when I when I look at the trail camera pictures, I'll try to I'll try to look at that and 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 um, look at the times the deer are on the camera, and then compare them to the times of that day. And uh, there are there are trends there. So it doesn't work, you know, 100% of the time. You might not see much deer when it says there's, you're going to see deer, but for the most part, it does. It does work. There's always exceptions to the rule, um, for yeah. sure. Uh, you've piqued my interest there on, on something. Just to go back, I know you run a lot of trail cameras, um, and what I'm trying to get at is for those guys that have those um, October and November and early December coos deer tags. Um, you know, let's actually start kind of in the summer, in the velvet season. Um, when would you say are the most active times that you see deer on their feet? And then when, kind of in that October, November, and then in December, do you notice any change? Can you talk a little bit about those time frames when you said, you know, if, if anybody out there listening that's new to cooster hunting, you would say in August, you've got to be glassing X, Y, and Z. In October, early November, you've got, you know, these are the peak times that you found, like, can you go through that? So you're asking um, trail camera-wise, like, the trends I see o over across the year? Well, not only trail camera, but what you've witnessed, um, being able to watch a bachelor group. I, I think you just said, though, in August you pretty much had to, um, and even early October because of your school schedule, you were only glassing morning and evening. But I guess my question is, like, when they're in velvet in August, is there a certain time when you think it's just money to be out there glassing? And then does that time frame change as this, you know, the the, the date gets later and into these October and November dates. In other words, do you notice something on your trail camera and with your own personal observation that, you know, if, if you had to pick one or another time, when, when, when are those times and do they change throughout the season? I haven't noticed too much of a change um, as far as, you know, being able to find them in the, in the, during the day in the glass. I, I do notice that it always seems like in the archery hunts and during the summertime in the mornings, they're always, they always tend to be out a lot longer in the morning feeding around and whatnot. Um, and then as you get like later into the year, they always tend to, they always tend to not, not be up moving. Um, 
right early in the morning, um, and then they tend to they'll tend to bed down. It seems like a lot sooner. I think I think too when you get later in the year, it's it's really cold in the mornings, and the deer tend to seem like they want to they want to stay hunkered down and bed down till that sun comes up. And um, once that sun comes up, they'll start getting up. That's what I've that's what I've personally noticed. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I would totally agree with you that you know the the colder that it gets the more apt that that you might not see a deer for the first hour i mean i i know you've been on those mornings say in late december january where you know it it's clear and cold overnight you know in tucson it might be you know 25 28 is a low and just those kind of crisp mornings and you go out and literally you don't see a deer for at least the first hour and then all of a sudden at you know say like eight o'clock every deer on the mountain stands up and it's that, you know, we're usually down in Mexico at that time frame and it's, um, it's unbelievable sometimes on those cold, crisp mornings. And even during the rut, when you think, oh, those deer will be on their feet. I mean, if it's cold enough, um, I find that those coos deer, because they're so thin skinned, they actually stay bedded. And I think that's a tip for guys out there that, you know, if you have these December hunts and, and maybe even you know, these early December hunts, if we happen to have a cold snap or, or something come through um, and, and you've got bucks that you're watching and, and uh, you know, you glass for the first hour and you don't see them, if it were me, I would stay, stay put. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think, oh, they're not here. I would just think they're bedded down. I got to look a little slower. I got to look a little more detail and, and, and you know, they're going to stand up around, you know, eight or nine o'clock. Um, uh, it's interesting that you say, like, in August, that they, they tend to be mornings are, are kind of their time, and they stay out pretty late. I think when that velvet is on their, you know, when they're growing their antlers, they're the coolest time of daylight, obviously, is, the, you know, the, the morning. Um, but then it can get so hot during the day. I've seen them where they just, they really don't get up until right before dark. Um, yeah. Literally 10, 15 minutes five minutes right before you can't see anymore. Um, back to these October and November hunts. Uh, I, Dar and I got a tip a long time ago. This probably goes back like 20 years ago from a guy named Kurt Batty. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name. I, I, I haven't seen him in years, but he, he used to be with the Arizona Game and Fish Department down there in southern Arizona. And we ran into him in 34A, and um, we were just, really looking for any information we could on coos deer and you know kurt we ran into him and just talking to him and he said guys now i would really pay attention to glass between 10 and 2 for yeah. coos deer and he he was even saying you know sometimes that's my favorite time to glass and one thing that always stuck with me is he said for big bucks my favorite time to glass is between 10 and 2 well i think now if i went back and asked him you know, he'd probably say, well, of course, you know, that prime time hour in the, in the morning and the prime time hour in the evening. But I think what he was trying to say is don't disregard 10 and 2. And I can't tell you since then how many bucks um, Dara and I have found between 10 and 2. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing how if you just kind of look in those areas where that shade, where those bucks should be, and picture where the shade is at, say, 9 in the morning, and then picture where the shade is at 2 in the afternoon, 
that's going to create a time frame there where that shade moves. You know, it's moving uh, uh, from the east to the west, and all of a sudden, the shade that they've been laying in for a couple hours that they bedded in in the morning, all of a sudden, their head, their whole body is completely in the sun. Boom, yep. you know, 11, 12, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, they have to get up, they move about 5 feet, and they bed back down. Have you had the same experience during the middle of the day? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you worded it perfect. But around that time frame, that's when they'll get up and change beds and get up and go to water, too. Um, that's what I've seen. That's why I always... On, I, what was that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, that's what I always stress to guys is, to, yeah, the mornings and the evenings are, are prime times, and you, you see a lot of deer in those times. But if you're out, if you got a weekend to hunt, um, I and you're not, you didn't see anything, nothing happened in the morning, like, I would make sure that your eyes are in the glass during midday, because you look at those areas, like you said, that as the sun goes over, it's it's going to shift, and those bucks are going to get up to readjust their beds and get back in the shade, and that's when you're, when you're going to see them, and then, and then you have all the time in the world to go, to go get on them, and uh, wait for them to stand up, or shoot them in their beds, um, that's one thing I always keep in mind when I archery hunt, too, because I know, I glass up a buck in the morning, that first bed he's going to sit in, depending on where it's at, if he, it's it's just kind of like an area you described, um, and he, he beds down that first bed, I know he's going to get up and change beds one at least yeah, one I, more time. I would agree with you 100%. Like, don't trust that first bed. Yes, yes, they're probably not going to be far, but do not trust the first bed that they lay in. They typically will lay there for an hour or two, and then they will get up and adjust almost every single time. And, you know, it, you know, you have to be precise when you're trying to kill these deer, and especially big deer, um, any coos deer for that matter, but, I mean, big deer especially, like, don't trust that first bed that they lay in. And that's like we always like to say, you know, if we find a buck we want to shoot, we keep someone watching that buck and almost yeah. always, when the, the hunter or whatever, me or the hunter or, or whatever, are stalking to get into position to have a vantage where the buck is bedded, almost always the spotter will come and say, well, the buck got up and he just moved over. Now he's kind of behind the juniper tree. He moved from the Ocotillo or whatever. And a lot of times it's not a big move. It's a five to ten yard move. But when you're trying to be precise and setting up to, you know, sniper these deer, especially with a rifle, like everything matters. And if you're focused on one certain tree that you know he's bedded on and all of a sudden he's 15, 10, 15 yards to the left, very easily can get up and slip out of there without you knowing because you don't realize. And I would yeah. say never trust those first beds. But the midday bed, once they bed down a second time, I would tell you you're probably a good two or three hours that that deer is going to be right there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so and let's go back to the, the days up uh, before this hunt and kind of tell us um, kind of how the hunt went down and, and um, you know, did it happen right away? You know, was it like clockwork um, or was it a, you know, what, what challenges, like go through how it happened? So uh, Tristan and I put a lot of effort into into, into trying to get out and, and make sure those bucks were still there. Um, 
we didn't have like a much of a history of hunting this area, so we didn't know like if if they were gonna you know when the rifle hunts come if they're gonna move or, or or what they're gonna do. So we wanted to just keep eyes on them and make sure that they're still on their exhibiting their normal patterns and that when the hunt comes we'd be able to to get it done. Um, and so I would I had class till on Tuesdays and and Thursdays um, I would have class till like uh, 4:45 and the sun's going down like a lot sooner um, this part of the year. So I would I would rush I would rush um, out and practically run to um, to get up to to be able to glass these deer. And we and we we had a camera on um, that little 50 yard by a 50 yard area that kind of looked down the finger it was on and I you know how bad I wanted to check the camera and see you know what kind of good pictures I got of these bucks but I I didn't want to mess it up um so we made sure we never we never breached like about a 500 yard area of these deer we were always about 800 900 yards away looking and um we kept we respect you business. right there yeah can I yeah. stop you right there I think that's so important you have so yeah. much experience. I can tell from your dad, like you've learned, like, <laughs> tell me why, tell the listeners why you felt it was so important not to breach that 500-yard gap and that you always stayed eight or 900 yards away. Well, if you, you pick, uh, kick that buck up, he's going to know you're in there after him. Um, I mean, these mature deer, aren't, they're not dumb. They didn't get that big for a reason. Um for no reason at all is what I mean. Um, and and especially in, in our situation, because we had this, it was like a fairly small bowl. We knew if we kept going in there and bumping these deer that when our hunt came, it wasn't going to be likely that they were going to be in that bowl. They might have went over to a different ridge or been a little bit more uh, reclusive, and we wouldn't have been able to find them as, as, as easy as we've been. Um, you know, that's essentially hunting pressure when you keep bumping them like that. So we didn't want to make it more difficult for ourselves to find them. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, good, good info right there. Okay, keep going with your story. Um, so we we would watch the bucks. We'd head out in the evening, and um, each time we went out, we would see uh, one of the mature bucks. And uh, Tristan and I spent a weekend. Um, because it's a really dry area, we we spent a weekend packing in water, um, and we went out and, and glassed up the. He, Tristan actually glassed up the buck. Um, she ended up shooting, feeding on this finger, and we stashed some water away in our tents and stuff that we could, we knew we could um, last up there in a week without you know the pack rats messing with them too much. Um, and um, Thursday came, and she, his girlfriend had, she's a vet technician so she has to work till eight o'clock at night and so Tristan didn't make it over to my house until around 10 and um we headed up there and uh started hiking around like about 10 30 or so and um we didn't get to camp until about 1 o'clock in the morning and uh we chose it I, I normally wouldn't recommend doing a, a back uh packing hunt for uh, someone who's uh, new into hunting, especially um, a girl that hasn't, you know, hiked a bunch. But for her situation, um, she, she wanted to. And 
because it took her a little bit uh, more time than, say, you or I to go hike a ridge, we thought it would be best to get her up on top of the mountain uh, first thing in the morning. That way, when we do glass a buck, it's all downhill from there, and it's easy walking. She doesn't have to walk, you know, say, a mile to go kill a buck. And so it ended up working right. out good because woke up and uh, woke up at first light and walked 100 yards and we're glassing and, and Tristan glassed up this big three-by we've been watching. And uh, so we're able to hunt pretty much just about 100 yards from camp. And she ended up killing her buck. Um, on Saturday morning, I glassed it up as soon as I could start seeing through my binos. And he was about about 800 yards away, and they went to a ridge closer and shot him at 335 um, at about 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning. Nice. So, um, so that's a, he was one of the good bucks that you had been watching, and my question is, like, how far from the 50 by 50 core area was he? Um, about 100 yards, I would say. <laughs> That's awesome, and I assume once you shot, you were able to go check your trail camera. Did you have some really uh, cool yep. photos? Yeah, I put them up on Instagram on my um, on my personal page. You could see some of the some of the pictures um, of some some different angles of her bucks rack, and then uh, trail camera pictures of them. So it's pretty. It was pretty cool. It was, it was a nice surprise to check that card after killing them and have uh, new pictures of them. That's really neat. And just for the listeners out there, it's Eric, E-R-I-C underscore Forrest, F-O-R-R-E-S-T. Um, there's pictures here of, of her buck, and uh, it's, a, it's a neat buck. Does it got a little, it's got a little drop tine, a little kicker? Yeah, it's got a drop tine off its, I think it's its left side. That's, that's cool. Um, do you see many drop tines like that? No, actually, um, I, Tristan and I saw our first drop time when we were scouting another area in the same unit um, earlier in the year. Uh, before the archery hunts, we saw this this drop time. That was the first one that I'd ever seen personally, like I'd ever found in my life. Um, and then this, her buck was the second one we'd seen. But it seems like this year a lot of drop time bucks have been killed. It's pretty. It's kind of unusual. Yeah, I wonder what causes that. That's that's really interesting. Um, side note here, I think I asked you about this before. What is your deal with snakes, man? <laughs> with snakes? What do you mean? <laughs> There's pictures of you picking them up and uh, you're like <laughs> a snake magnet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love I love some big rattlers. I mean, it's I don't know how many people um, like them, but they they sure taste uh, tasty on the grill with some you know mesquite marinade, and they're pretty cool. To, to kill. I usually don't kill rattlesnakes until like unless they're um, close to my house or they're big enough to eat. Most of the time, I'll just leave them alone. But nice. I've yeah, never tasted I, rattlesnake. What's it taste like? Really? Um, it's everybody says it tastes like chicken, but it's like a, a chewier version of chicken, I guess. Nice. Um, any difference similar. between like Western Diamondbacks or Mojaves or I mean? Um, do they all taste the same? They all taste pretty much. I mean, there's not much meat on them to begin with, so it's kind of like, it's almost like chicken jerky when you make them. I mean, they're not, 
there's not a whole lot of meat to to uh, to pick from. I mean, I think I saw Bear Grylls one time eat eat into a rattler with all the ribs and all, and just chew it down. But I I tell I like to pick the meat out from the ribs, and there's not much to pick, but it all pretty much tastes like chicken. Gotcha. So your Tristan's girlfriend shoots her first buck. Um, you guys are stoked, and you get some pictures, some cool pictures. Uh, of those deer um, let's talk a little bit about trail camera um, and trail camera placement um, in your opinion for people out there like where would you recommend if they wanted to start running a string of cameras is it best to run them over you know dirt tanks springs salt blocks you know mineral blocks you know what what's what you know, what's the best way to get coos deer bucks on trail camera? Um, water sources, for sure. The only problem with water sources, if, if it's a known spot, is you have to deal with um, people messing with your camera and stealing it. Um, for water sources, I'd recommend, like, try to, try to mount the camera up high in a box if you can. Um, I, I, know, I know some guys uh, run them on salt. It's just a kind of a weird area with the Arizona Game and Fish law with whether or not you can set salt out on for deer anymore. Um, oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I'd forgotten you, that there was some something you can't hunt over it. I didn't know if you could still run cameras and I, put salt out as long as you don't hunt over that spot. That's my, my impression of the law, too, and I've heard wardens um, read the law to me that way. But then I've also heard the opposite, so it's kind of like you, you don't really know what to do. But there's also, I found, just from boots on the ground, I found natural little mineral deposits before and put cameras on those, too. Um, that's a good spot if you find real heavy trails where trails converge. That's where Tris and I have been putting a lot of cameras on intersections of trails this year and have gotten pretty good results. Um, and in those cases, I think salt's tricky because I've noticed in the past um, we could have a, a buck on, on camera on salt and say it's in this one canyon and you're looking for this buck and you never find him and you go glass some other random canyon like a mile or two away and you see that buck you had on camera. I think it's kind of misleading um, with salt because you, you could think a buck is living in the air and he's actually not. So I think with setting it on trails and, and, and water, water sources are kind of the same as salt, but um, setting them up on trails for sure, you, you kind of know that that deer is living in that, in that immediate area. Yeah. 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 And don't you, my experience is, is fairly limited with um, trail cameras, but with buddies and stuff that I know that run them and such, like deer typically will be on salt or be on mineral a lot when they're in the velvet, but it seems like when they go hard antlered, it almost seems like those bucks just kind of pull off that. Have you seen that um, before? Yeah, you, yeah, you'll see. The does will still hit the salt like all through the winter, but um, I mean, you, around March when those deer are, are getting ready to drop, you'll see a lot of deer, uh, a lot of bucks show up on salt and that's that's when I would have my cameras out if you have, you know, a salt block or you find a natural uh, mineral spot. Um, I'd set cameras in March because then you can see what kind of hard-horned bucks made it through all the seasons. 
and oh, you yeah. can see that they're in, yeah they're in the area and then and then they'll drop through you know you're not going to really be able to tell what they are in june but once july and august hit you're going to see what bucks what and um the tail end of july and then august they'll hit they'll hit salt a lot and then they they tend to hit it the first week of september a lot and then it just tapers off from there right on well buddy i know you've got class coming up um i want to ask you what you have uh, moving forward and and uh, i know you'll always be out looking for twos but kind of what's your focus now after tristan's girlfriend is harvested i don't believe you have your own tag what what, what do you have coming up here um, I, Tristan has that December 1st through the 10th hunt, so I, I really want to see him kill a uh, about a 100-inch-plus buck and, and just not to, like, uh, bring inches into the, into the question, but um, I just want to see him kill a real mature old deer that's been around and survived some hunts, a um, real big buck that's always cool to, cool to get after. So I, I want to see him uh, shoot one like that. So we're, we're putting in the work now. Um, I've already been out scouting this past week looking, and um, we're going to head out this weekend and look some more, look for that other drop-time buck, and <laughs> hopefully get get a pair of drop-time bucks this year. That's pretty neat. It's really fun to kind of target and try and be looking for those older age class bucks, whether they're, you know, 100 or 110 or whatever they are. It's it, just finding those, like for me, the love for twos are like when you start getting like over a hundred, each one of those spots has their own different character. And it's like, I get where I just, I want them all. <laughs> yeah. In the same way where you, I mean, once they get over a hundred and, and they take on a, their own character, it's just, man, I love them. There's just a different, like uh, a different energy about a mature buck. I mean, it's not, it's not like we're going out there and, and like, and discriminating bucks that don't just quite don't make a hundred inches. If it's if it has that wow factor, that's what we're we're looking for. And most bucks that are over a hundred have that wow factor. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, as always, it's awesome having you on the podcast. Um, I love you know for a young guy, you've got a lot of experience. Um, tell the listeners a little bit about your dad and your dad's. Um, companies and 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 you know kind of what you guys what he does and you know a little bit of his experience and such I'd love to get him on the podcast one of these days too yeah so my uh my dad uh he grew up rifle hunting um with his dad um brought him into it but my grandpa wasn't he was he was the you know the type of hunter that would go out with a a pocket knife and in his pocket and and uh like a flashlight and that would be you know and a rifle and that would be his his hunting attire for the day and he'd walk around and wait until he just kicked up a buck or saw a buck um definitely wasn't glassing or anything like that wasn't archery hunting so my dad he, he grew up hunting like that and and um very quickly turned on the bows and then he wanted to figure out how to become better and just naturally started acquiring the skills of how to find big deer and i think he's i think he the last time he shot a deer with a rifle was i'd like to say it was an 89 but ever since then he's filled his uh his uh tag with the archery kill so he's 
he's one of those guys that you don't hear much about, but is like consistent, um, consistently successful in archery. Um, he he developed uh, Sonoran broad Sonoran bow hunting products, and so he had the Sonoran broadhead, and that ended up getting bought by Swacker. Um, and so I don't know if you guys have heard of Swacker broadheads, but that's uh, his product. Um, and he makes some bow sides too. He used to. He doesn't anymore. Um, that was essentially his company. But now he's retired and he's uh, out scouting and doing everything he wants to. So I'm pretty That's jealous. Nice. I'm, not, I'm not there yet. But <laughs> well, it's always nice. I'm sure you. I can just tell you've learned a ton from him, and um, it's pretty neat. I I, I know he's. Um, you're right. I mean, not a lot of people know, you know, he, he's done a lot of stuff and killed a lot of stuff and, and um, he just kind of goes about his business and does his thing. And I, I really admire him for that. I haven't met him, um, but I'd love to have him on the podcast here one of these days because I'm sure we could all learn uh, from his experience. And um, uh, yeah, that's pretty neat that you've been able to learn all that you have, uh, you know, from him. And you've also been able to learn a bunch of stuff just by being out there too yourself so it's pretty cool um buddy i know you got to get to class i really appreciate uh, you sharing your knowledge with us i encourage the listeners to check you out on instagram i will link it up uh in the, the uh, show notes the podcast notes and um i guess next time i talk to you probably will be after the uh after the Sun Devils have whipped up on the Wildcats, you'll be probably just about <laughs> uh, on, on Tristan's hunt. <laughs> but, uh, no, it's always good, uh, fun banter. My cousin went to U of A, and I've got some other friends that went to, Brian Rims that went to U of A, so it's always a fun time of year. Yeah. And, um, it's uh, always fun to have that little rivalry. And, and uh, so, anyway, uh, have a good day, and I uh, hope you guys kill another great buck, and, and thanks for... Uh, the great posts on Instagram and, and uh, keep enjoying what you're doing. And, and uh, I guess until I talk to you next time, God bless. Okay. All right. Thank you. It was an honor to be on again. It's always, it's always a pleasure. Well, thanks for sharing with us. All right. You take care. All right. You too, buddy. All right. Bye. <laughs>